0: welcome to another episode of the work life podcast to find out more about the work life hub and to listen to other episodes please go to www.worklifehub.com
1: welcome to another episode of the work life hub podcast i am your host agnes Uheretsky. if this is the first time that you are tuning in Let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Work Life Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter, at Work Life Hub, on our LinkedIn page, or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast, or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today, I have the great privilege of being joined by Dr. Isaac Getz. And we're sitting in the terrace on a terrace of a lovely hotel in Paris, and it's actually quite cold today. But uh, I'm very, very excited and thrilled. And thank you very much, Dr. Getz, for accepting our invitation.
0: My pleasure, Agnes.
1: Um, Dr. Getz is um, a leadership and innovation professor at the ESCP Europe Business School. He has a very multidisciplinary background in mathematics and computer science, management and also a doctorate degree in psychology. He was visiting professor at Cornell, at Stanford and at the University of Massachusetts. And Dr. Getz led a number of projects and published a number of studies. And he's also the author, the co-author of the international bestseller Freedom Inc., which was published in 2009, which is now translated into six and soon in nine languages and he's also an international speaker and so i I just maybe starting off um would you mind telling listeners a little bit how you developed your interest in companies in in especially these type of companies that we're going to be speaking about
0: as a researcher obviously and a business school professor i'm interested in organizational phenomena so um I do study for already more than 25 years how uh, organizations, companies can be sustainable, excellent. Uh, This project that we'll be talking about, um, about liberated companies and organizations, uh, started at about 2004-2005, following my previous project where I studied the creativity in companies in fact uh, the little anecdote and it was uh, you agnes you are based in in, in belgium in fact and started in belgium in some way i was in a company in uh, bruges uh, bruggen and i remember um, for my previous project on creativity and uh, i was interested in how employees can can come up with ideas implement them and so i remember that there was a manufacturing director and um, he said let's go you know to the workshop and see how it's it was there and while we were walking he's, he's saying they're taking so much initiative and creativity that you know I'm useless in the company and anyway you know they they're not listening to me so I thought it's kind of a Belgian joke <laughs> and uh, so I said really and uh, no, we were, we were with the colleague and so he brought me to um, an operator just the first one that we entered and he said okay I'll show you so he comes to this operator and he says to him you know you put here some kind of chair or something. It shouldn't be there. And the guy, he works on his machine. He even didn't turn the head. And he answers to this guy. Said, "This chair is very good for me where it is," and continues to work. So he looked at us and said, "You see, they don't listen to me. They just <laughs> don't care well. And that kind of was no. So we went on with our investigation of the practices that allow creativity and so. On, but that raised me kind of. Um, uh, question already in my mind is how can be an organization run where basically managers are not telling people what to do, they're not controlling them, uh, so the people are essentially self-directing, and then, you know, they gave me more examples, I saw uh, how they, or teams operated in crisis mode by themselves, and so on, and so on, so there were several examples like that, and it's overly uh, the um, idea of in Requiring, exploring organizations where employees can self-direct in teams and where there is no management anymore in the traditional sense of uh, Instructing employees what to do and controlling them. It was born and from there That's already the secret uh, sort of uh, uh, Craft of researchers. How do you find them? How do you identify them, how do you do initial work on them, and then how you go and do field studies to see if it really corresponds of what some companies are telling they are. But we had some, a lot of good surprises and some bad, too. Mm.
1: Uh, In your book, there are some really fantastic ideas and and examples and case studies of of companies. And it always starts, or for me, what comes really across is this enlightened leader. And we have mm-hmm. discussed before mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. servant leadership so would you say that this is a commonality that it because your examples come from all kinds of sectors so that right. it really depends on the individual who has this drive to mm-hmm. make a fantastic workplace and productive workplace for his people
0: yeah in fact it wasn't uh, the beginning of the question um, uh, I would say rather naturally we as researchers went to look for what is called a model Hmm. so you know finding some kind of model uh, that allows for all these companies to operate in along the lines that that I mentioned Um, and there was some previous work also on that you know self-managed teams by Tom Petters and some so you are looking for some kind of of model it's also useful not it's useful for researchers because then the researchers they write and um an article, and you can be famous, you know, the five other people will read it, (laughs) uh, and have a huge impact on the world, Um, uh, but it's also, by the way, quite demanded by, I'm not a consultant, but uh, it's it's much demanded by CEOs, because CEOs want models, then they can bring in consultants, and these consultants would put these models in place, so there's a whole kind of, like, uh, reasons to look for it, so we were looking for it. However, we couldn't find any because although all these companies appeared operating in this self directed way, um, we couldn't find any common features. Now, of course, there were many companies that didn't have time clocks, but there were some who had. There are many companies that didn't have reserve parking lots, but some did for top executives, right? So there were many executives that didn't have, and then CEOs, their own office, but some did so there were a lot of these um, um features that um, were kind of idiosyncratic and so uh, what we started to look at at some point is not exactly what are the common points between all of them but what are the common points in a transforming a traditional organization into this type of organization. So from the, I would say, organizational research, it became a leadership research. Because once you're looking for a person who, once you're asking this question, and that's what we released very soon, uh, is that at the uh, onset of all of these transformations, there was one person whom we started to call a liberating leader, a man or a woman. And at some point they decided that they don't want to run the organization the old way
1: yes this is so fascinating and uh, Mm -hmm. now just maybe a a bit of a detour i have my selfish uh, personal interest in asking you the following Mm -hmm. question because this is for me quite an interesting trend and i'm always trying to find uh, what is driving it Um, and i'm talking about the growing number of freelancers the growing number of startups Mm. this perhaps more this quest for freedom and or liberty Mm. and you know at the same time as we have growing number of self-help books on how people can find their Mm -hmm. own calling their own purpose there's also more and more who seem to put this in the place i mean we spoke about czech republic just Mm -hmm, before the podcast mm -hmm. and and in 2013, 3,000 men asked for their self-employed cards, mm-hmm. but 10,000 women did. Because mm-hmm. there seem to be these constraints of this command, control, right,
0: uh, right.
1: workplace without a lot of schedule, autonomy. Mm. So is this something that you would put in parallel, this, this kind of an awakening of...
0: Look, Agnes, I, I uh, have, uh, as you saw in my book, both philosophical and historical perspective on things. So if you go back, probably uh, the first uh, uh, known, uh, at least in the Western world description of uh, the um, quest for liberation is uh, uh, was by Hebrews and Moses, right? Who were slaves and then left it and uh, tried to become free people, right? And Alexander
1: the Great is the other one, no? Um,
0: I don't know how much about Alexander the Great. <laughs> it's, it was a little bit dictatorial there, an autocratic kind of dynasty with his father and himself. But um, they killed quite a lot of people around. But um, uh, then you can see even American movement of, uh, out, uh, you know, the out of slavery, uh, uh, would inspire themselves from Hebrews, right, ancient Hebrews, and they would set for this quest for liberty. So it's a kind of recurrent theme for human beings. And uh, as you perhaps know, uh, uh, the people who are, um, I am say political movements, right, for emancipation of people and the democracy and so on, would put it as a being a natural right of every human being, right? Now, uh, we start our book by saying that um, today the situation is that we enjoy freedom everywhere in, uh, you know, um, when they say we I obviously refer to not the whole world, unfortunately, but in the large part of the world today people enjoy freedom political freedom, they enjoy economic freedom, they enjoy freedom, individual freedom, because people, when they're at home, they can do what they want, to pursue hobbies, interests that they want. The only place where people don't enjoy freedom anywhere in the world is at workplace. People are not free to come when they want, they are not free to leave when they want, they are not free to take their lunch when they want, they can't park where they want. And I'm not talking about the contents of what they do, because they're told what to do and control. This is in some way, runs against the, the not only the aspirations of human beings and their natural rights, but also against the what people experience outside of the workplace. Now, you mentioned the recent trends. Uh, yes, there, re, there is some research and some data that uh, the recent generation, sometimes called Generation Y and Generation Z, Um, they became even more allergic to uh, this type of, you mentioned, command and control organizations. And uh, the way today uh, some uh, uh, parts of economy operate allows them to be self-employed. In France here we have this idea of auto-entrepreneur, self-entrepreneur, you know, it's it's kind of official status, right, Mm. business status, like your own company. And there are millions that French that uh, became uh, such, some of them continue to be uh, employees, right? Yeah. But it's also having their own business and you mentioned in some other countries. So yeah, there is there is some uh, aspiration for that. The problem with it is that uh, people have to do it outside of traditional workplace. Mm. And our focus was not on exploring uh, these outside solutions, kind of escape solutions or parallel solutions but how you can live fulfilled uh, entrepreneurial uh, creative uh, innovative work life within uh, organizations and that's what we were looking for and we found it and uh, we described it and probably you will ask this question later but today there's a whole movement of organizations large and small that are transforming themselves in this kind of of uh,
1: function. Absolutely, and and that brings me really nicely to to my next next question. I there's one sentence that really struck me. It, it says um, from your book, disillusioned, disrespected workers are building parallel lives, mm-hmm. where they receive recognition, possibilities for self-management, and mm-hmm. their fundamental needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit what we're also looking at. at the work-life hub is 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 how the work sphere of one's life and the life sphere of mm-hmm. one's life are so these parallel tracks and right, right, they are right. overlaps and boundary right, management. Right. But coming to your, the fundamental question, how can perhaps quite traditional companies make sure that employees receive these kind of fundamental, mm. receive answers to their fundamental needs? within the workplace. Okay,
0: so I, I will maybe build up on what you mentioned. Uh, that's 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 the magic of conversation, right? Yeah. But you mentioned this kind of parallel tracks and sometimes traditional companies that do not transform themselves, they play with the concept of work-life balance. But again, that introduces immediately, conceptually, two tracks, right? Yeah. There's a work on the one hand, life on the other hand, and you're in some Way try to balance between the two. Perhaps a philosophical of one of the philosophical uh, premises of our work is that we have only one life. (laughs) We don't have two lives, and uh, what is good for people when they're at home uh, and right for them uh, should be can be good also at work. There's no reason that we can pursue um, our happiness at home, uh, but we're supposed at maximum not to suffer at work. This, this whole approach, in fact, is both philosophical and psychological. Um, it's uh, uh, philosophical because it's based on, on a certain personal philosophy of these leaders, that's what we found uh, out, uh, that have certain simple beliefs in human nature, and believe that uh, human beings um, can be trusted believe that human beings uh, have talents uh, and believe that human beings prefer to self-direct instead of uh, be directed by others. If you have these beliefs as a CEO, head of a competent organization, you will quickly realize that your organization is not satisfying or serving these beliefs. Uh, why do you have a time clock? Is it a sign of trust? Why a person needs a permission even to call the customer or to reply to some kind of inquiry. So all kinds of practices in organization, or why do you offer just one or two training sessions per year? that is the way to fulfill the talent uh, that is in your employee? Or why people can't uh, start a project that needs a couple of thousands of euros or dollars and take initiative and uh, self-direct for the good of the company? So the answer is, you know, all uh, these practices, regulations, policies, uh, structures, hierarchical, all that is, developed not to satisfy uh, the needs or not to be, I would say, compatible with the philosophy that we discussed, but to control the people, right, and make them uh, to perform and execute the tasks that the management organization decides. So it's unavoidable that if you have this personal philosophy, you will live in what psychologists call the kind of like cognitive or emotional dissonance when you believe between what you believe in and what you practice or experience and you're in charge of this organization so what do you do Um, there can be some kind of um, uh, fatalism and saying okay the workplace is what it is and you know i have not invented it and exists for 200 years since the industrial revolution Uh, So I will kind of implement my uh, personal beliefs and my philosophy outside of my work. And then some may say that uh, there are ways to um, live it like one CEO says, I wanted to not to have two lives, a personal life and a professional life. I wanted to have just one life. So to put it together. From there, obviously, uh, you are looking uh, concretely, practically, how to transform the organization, which is not easy. And the things, the people, and transformations that we describe in our book, everyone almost entirely invented their own uh, transformation. Today, uh, more and more CEOs inspire themselves yes. of what others did. And so it's kind of easier for them. But others, this was more of trial and error. Like some of them said, I knew what I didn't want. I didn't want the things that I suffered from in my previous organization that I left or that I observed in command and control organizations. But what needs to be built in, instead of this kind of dysfunctional or inappropriate practices and structures, I didn't know. So they had to invent it. So that's why we're also uh, speaking about these leaders as being extremely creative people, in mm. fact. Uh, sometimes I compare them to architects or to great vintners, you know, the people who are capable of making a great wine, not just a good wine that is similar to others. There's a recipe for that, but a really great wine, unique one. So that's what we studied. And that's, uh, I would say, the philosophical uh, premise. Oh, if you want I can tell you about the psychological part yes please yes uh, so there is a psychological part in that because um, if you start to question um, what practices to transform and um, structures and organization, traditional organization and by what replace it you can have some kind of intuitions and some kind of guides, but it's better to do that because you're doing it for the people in the organization, so it's better to do it with them. Right? Yeah. And then it's kind of natural to ask um, uh, and involve people in the organization to think together what would be uh, the values, the norms, around which they would like to build the workplace, a little bit like a community like a village right by the way some companies call that like little villages right and and so if you ask people by the way it's strange and all over the world no one will will say we want that management or company lies to us they won't say that they they will say we want them to be transparent and tell us the truth the data and information people won't say that we want us to be surveyed and you know told what to do they said we want to trust, right? People will not say we want here, all want privileges, and so they, they will say would rather like fairness, right? So it can have different words. That's why it's very interesting. Uh, it depends on what country, what region, what uh, even, uh, you know, industry, you know, you compare people who work in, in mills, right? Uh, metallurgy with people who work in advertisement. It's not the same kind of, like, I would say culture. And, And background. So they will ask for different things. But at any rate, all of these things will come to something that we called intrinsic equality, which means basically people prefer, don't ask necessarily to be treated better than others, but they don't like to be treated as inferiors. So they ask for trust, they ask for respect, consideration, fairness, all these kind of things. Then people. If you discuss they would like, would, would like to grow, would like to learn, would like to master to become better in what we're doing. So all that can be called as growth as a general term or realizing your potential yeah. or realizing your, your talents. And then there is the last thing that is sometimes is called autonomy and self direction. So that, you know, let us find what is the best thing to do for, for the company. So once you, it in place and again, it should be a good discussion between people. And what will be these two, three, four, sometimes called values, sometimes called norms? There are companies they say that they put one of them is being in good mood.
1: Yeah,
0: there's a company that said saying hello in the morning, yeah, because it's a fundamental sense of respect for your colleague that you say him hello and don't treat him as a foreigner. So it can be little things or it can be more. Know, bigger things that you find in Declaration of Rights of United Nations, you know, like respect or consideration. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, the next thing is very interesting, that you can ask them people, okay, now look around you, what are the practices, what are the structures that don't correspond to these norms that you want to experience at work? And then some people say, why uh, some in this company have the reserved parking uh, spaces or lots? And so they have to walk five meters and we have to walk 300 meters under the rain. Is it fair? Is it respectful to, to us? And you say that we are the people who create economic value in the company. So let's discuss what we do with that. And some others, people, why don't we have access to financial information? Or why don't we have information on the customer uh, and the, their feedback and whatever while we are manufacturing the products or or sending them to the customer. So there's a, maybe a lot of different practices that will be questioned. Obviously, if it's questioned by one person, it may be kind of like marginal thing, but there's a group of people who are questioning, then it's there becomes their role to understand what kind of purpose this specific practice serve. Because if you have a time clock, it serves to record the hours Right, that people work and uh, it may be needed even for legal reasons in many countries Right, and then it may be needed to pay extra hours if people work by what do you do? You, do you propose then, replace it so the purpose is fulfilled and but you don't feel it as being something that, is mis, that mistrusts you and so people will come with for example self-decoration say at the end of the day or the week I'll put down the hours that they work uh, and it works. I mean, this is legal. That's that's how it works. And um, this psychological. That's why I'm finishing with the psychological thing. Is it's interesting that everyone knows about Maslow. Or many people know about Maslow hierarchy of needs, which is uh, which was uh, conceived in um, 1943, and it's a theory. It's a very powerful theory, but it was not really empirically uh, proven, and we. Um, mm, in our book um, relied on the much more recent work as a psychologist right i, I knew about that work a long time ago by uh, researchers desi and ryan uh, in the university of rochester more recently uh, there's, there's a bestseller by daniel pink who kind of popularizes uh, this theory uh, which is a theory on on the factors of intrinsic motivation or they call it self-determination theory and so what are the needs of human beings that you have to satisfy? It's a bit like Maslow, right? Uh, so that you don't need to motivate people where people are intrinsically or self-motivated. And so, in fact, there are the three needs and they correspond to what we discussed, right? That it's the way people are related to, are trusted, respected and so on. Uh, the, the thing of growth, uh, they call it mastery and um, and then the the self-direction of autonomy right so those are fundamental and the power of, of this and Ryan's psychological work is that they tested it in dozens and dozens of countries all over the world and they found that these are universal needs the way you satisfy them of course will be very very different right so the autonomy for example rhymes for Americans with individual autonomy. And uh, for, uh, for example, Eastern Asian countries, it will be more group autonomy. They don't like to do things alone mm. because harmony is a very important value. And so mm-hmm. to put yourself against somebody else. But as a group, uh, they, w- they, they want to enjoy autonomy. Mm. Uh, and so the, the way uh, it is, again, satisfy this need will be different and it's not only different from country to country but as i told it will be different from company to company and it will be even different from business unit to business unit in large organizations so that's the link to psychology
1: and i mean there is just so much in there and i have a, a million questions mm-hmm. uh, obviously but maybe just tackling a little bit this the the, the leadership bottleneck of mm-hmm. this and and there is now a lot of literature even coming out from yeah. the OECD mm-hmm. you know what can hamper maybe growth and that's leadership skills gaps mm-hmm. y- you write in the book that you know future leaders or leaders in trained in, in, in business schools but also what we inherited as kind of the image of of leadership it's about authority and coming with the solutions and that's mm-hmm. what's expected of us and and yeah. and you give fantastic examples in your book when some uh, a high senior-level uh, executive was recruited into such an organization and then he didn't have uh, a team, he didn't have anybody to manage, and right. then this they would a, come... In, in, uh, gore,
0: in gore. Yes,
1: in gore. Yeah. I, I love this example. But th- this whole idea of, of servant leadership, of becoming the enabler of mm-hmm. this environment where people mm-hmm. can... Uh, that takes a lot of courage, no? It takes a lot of self... It, humility mm-hmm. or, or patience or a lot no. of those skills that we don't necessarily associate with leadership skills
0: yes and there's one in fact it's very early when I started to give conferences on this topic I remember I talked to the kind of executive audience and there was a question after that in the audience that in fact yeah you need a, what is this uh, the first act of courage that the CEO has to uh, uh, to make In order to uh, liberate his organization and kind of spontaneously i said to abandon his ego yes in fact it's it's very very true Uh, we also observed that and we described that in our book an example of of jeff westfall of american company vertex uh, talked a lot about it in fact you realize rather quickly remember i told you that if you have certain beliefs and then you regard the practices you realize that you um, control people. You tell them what's the best solution is. You take charge at some, you know, critical moments or crises. And you behave as a true leader, right? I mean Alexander the Great you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at the same time you fundamentally believe that you can trust people. I mean trust you can trust with their intelligence. So how are you going to trust people with their intelligence if you believe that you are the most intelligent in the organization? it's it's a paradox that is impossible to resolve it's it's almost schizophrenic so either if you say they're intelligent and you want to trust them then you have to stop to behave as the most intelligent person doesn't mean that you become stupid but you stop telling people what to do you ask them what could we do in this situation or uh, i trust if you take a, a bit of time you'll come up with a solution and you try to become then this servant leader this coach this facilitator that helps them with the information with the data with conditions where they can come up with the solutions so yes this it requires it's not something innate it's obviously something that some people have through their education and we encountered certain leaders for whom it was natural Mm. and so they didn't have to do any special work uh, uh, with themselves you mentioned self-development but others did, and so when they realized that they are the biggest enemies of the transformation that they want to realize, they, they said, I have to start to changing myself. And so many worked with, with uh, executive coaches on their ego issues, control issues. Um, some even worked with psychoanalysts, because sometimes it's a uh, very, very deep-rooted deep idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's true, but unless uh, this is what's kind of, you know, we call it um, the hidden, the silent part of liberation that no one sees. But if uh, a leader doesn't uh, uh, develop uh, certain uh, behaviors um, and doesn't demonstrate them uh, daily, uh, the people, you know, there are people are like kids. You know, they see when uh, there is something that is not true uh and so uh, they will see that it's there's a talk on the one hand but on the other hand the the boss always thinks he's the smartest so absolutely so it you it, it takes time but walk, walk, but it's yeah. it's i wouldn't say it's some some believe that it's almost an impossible task it's not true from the experience and if you discuss with executive coaches it's not a question of years it's a question of months
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you can start uh, sort of like one CEO said the most difficult part for me was self-censorship is that I would pass by and usually I would jump in and say, you know, guys, what are you doing here? You know, we have to stop that. And you have to bite your tongue and, you know, and that's okay. That's that's interesting what's going on here. So can you explain me how do you work here? And uh, but not saying what to do, basically. And that's maybe some the question that will Touch, uh, but to see whether what they do corresponds to the vision and contributes to the company's vision, because you're not controlling people, but you're a guardian, guardian of the uh, corporate vision, and that's the way you you kind of guide uh, the organization.
1: Absolutely. I, and it was interesting to read in your book that these are quite lengthy processes as well, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so probably there needs to be this short-term change within the leader, and mm. and short-term which is maybe a short-term pain mm-hmm. for a more longer-term gain in the interest of the organization. If you you mm. know maybe maybe in this kind of careerism-driven. You have to also put somehow the organization and the people before your own needs of, of the numbers of, mm. you know, crunching out the, the
0: benefits. Well, it's true. I mean, it's an in, in, interesting. Um, it's an interesting thought. I, I, we haven't thought in these terms. I mean, there is a, a price, obviously, uh, to pay. Um, no, the philosophical definition of values is, is not what you gain from it is what you're ready to sacrifice for that so if you have certain values and want to put uh, them in place in your organization uh, there will be some price to pay by you obviously so you will have to abandon certain ways of doing things and uh, it it will be painful Uh, it it will feel even wrong and you know and sometimes you will say yeah "Yeah," and you'll say no no no, let's go back to the control mode because it's now becomes wild you know and we don't i don't see where they are going and what will happen and, um, of course, it's not, it's not natural, it's not easy. Then, uh, this is the, also the, again, what we observed and what we saw, uh, you have signals that coming from outside that you're on the right track, not on the wrong track. I'll give you just this, there are signals, this is because people, you know, want to think traditionally, and well, they think about the subject as a rational, intellectual subject, but it isn't. It's an emotional or it's a gut subject. They say there is data. Can you prove that these organizations, they run better? So, yeah, you have in the mid and long term the data and all these organizations that are outperforming uh, their competitors and they're at the top of their industries. But at the beginning, you don't have them. But you have something else uh, that I, again, heard from the people. Uh, Imagine people working three shifts in the like heavy uh, uh, industry they wake up at four o'clock uh, to start the morning shift at 5 30 or something like that and you start to see that men who work there they shave themselves in the morning they never did it and the women that work on these machines they put a the makeup in. they never did it mm-hmm. uh, so not only that they look more beautiful but they wanted to look more beautiful Uh, you have men uh, that before you were walking around and you would ask them the question they would look the their shoes and the ground right and then they are like proud and they answering there's one example that they had it's one of the best that they have that one leader would go around in the morning and we say you know uh, how to do and you know how is everything and basically you know can i help you with something do you need anything and so then people would reply in, you know, in this or that way. And one day there was one guy looked at him and said, and you, and he said, and he called him by first name. And that's, that's in France, right? So it's not, not United States where everyone yeah. is Mike yeah. and yeah. Pete yeah. And, and Dave. And said, and you, Philippe, how do you do? Wow. And this guy was so like, uh, it said, yes. Now, I think I achieved something Mm. because, and he said, I love when people call me by my first name, but they didn't dare. Yeah, of course. And so now, not only that that they dared, but they authentically are interested in me and ask me, how do I feel? You know, if I'm maybe not, you know, there's maybe some stress and so. So it, it became like we started to speak the common language, which is one of the main first, I would say. It's undeclared, obviously. It's not to have some declarations and you will achieve this and that. But fundamentally, that's what many uh, liberating leaders were looking at. It's starting to speak the same language. Be the same, not kind of like castes and groups, but we speak the same language. We ask the same questions. Uh, We like it in Harley Davidson, the why we're here. It's the same question that everyone asks in the morning. Why we're here, what we're doing together, what kind of vision destination want to reach? And the next question is how I at my area of responsibility can contribute to reach that destination. Mm. This is the common language. Everyone now can talk to everyone around these two topics. Mm. And not that some people think about strategy and the other guy what button to push (laughs) and then what time to go and have a break.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So so that's that's why some of the signs that that you see immediately that you are on the right track and at the same time you continue to struggle right yeah. maybe because 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 things happen and particularly uh, as they had some of the examples imagine there is a crisis and you are uh, 30% down 30% down with your orders and you're on the verge of uh, bankruptcy and you have all this know people from all the outside and saying you have to step in and take charge and uh, and you know that it, it will be it will destroy the years of the construction uh, of this liberated organization and you force yourself of not doing what everyone is telling you to do and what some by gut feeling uh, you maybe think you have to do and you continue to nourish the teams Explain them the situation, show their companies that would advertise, advertise. put like in their airport right, a huge billboard where the employees, operators would see how much percentage down the orders are in comparison to the last year. So you like lavishly, like uh, DePree would say from Herman Miller, right, lavishly share the information, yeah. shower the information on people on how dramatic the situation is is and repeating them that it's their responsibility to find a solution and then you're surprised that people do find
1: it absolutely thank you so much mm. so basically um i always find that recording a podcast one enters some kind of time warp and mm. time is always going way too quickly so before we go to our last question may i ask you uh dr getz to remind listeners where they can reach you the the website or the blog
0: the easiest way is to go to the English version. There is also French that is available from there. The English version is called Freedom Inc. Book. So in one word, freedom, then I-N-C, and then book.com. And uh, there's a lot of material there, videos, articles, all kind of things that what we've written on that and, uh, also my contact information. So easy to, 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 reach.
1: And we'll put all of these also into the, the show mm-hmm. notes of the podcast. So coming to our last question, which is always the same here on, on the podcast is if I could ask you to give one advice mm-hmm. to perhaps CEOs who are thinking that they would need to change, that they, they should start down on the path of, of liberating their companies. What, what would be your advice?
0: Don't talk act in fact uh, We saw that uh, and there were some I would say because it's it's not always uh, uh, Beautiful uh, road and everything works as you want it and there are people do mistakes and one of the main mistakes is once you discover this kind of, um, of uh, I would say um, way to work this kind of uh, philosophy and you saw examples, and you read the books, and suddenly you realize that uh, instead of having an invitation with one brain thinking, and uh, maybe I don't know, 500 uh, executing, um, and uh, people basically look at their uh, and their watches, and they just want to leave us as quickly as possible, and they do the minimum. Uh, you can have an organization where uh, basically 500 brains work and people enjoy uh, and and they say being that they are happy and when they're happy they work better um, when you realize that you have a kind of uh, need to go and announce it to everyone yeah like the, the world savior arrived,
1: yeah. <laughs> the savior. Yeah.
0: You want to climb on the podium and and, and, and tell all that. So don't do that. Yeah. That's my advice. Don't do that because uh, you will create a lot of expectation, and you won't be able to satisfy this expectation the day no. after and the day after because it takes time to change yeah. organization.
1: So the cafe around us has come to life, and I right. think this signals to us to to yeah. come to a close. But a lot,
0: a lot of managers. As yes. Yes. Yeah. There's one person working and three managers observing. (laughs) But it's typical.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure that our listeners are taking away extremely a lot of knowledge from this. So thank you for sharing it so generously. I really appreciated
0: it. Thank you, Agnes. Thanks a lot.